The other day I was reading a book to my daughter during our bedtime routine when I realized that I'd made it through four whole paragraphs without understanding what I'd read. Typically, my daughter and I are riveted by The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But that night, I was unbelievably distracted. My head was swirling with to-dos, big and small, from the snacks I needed to bring to the kids' soccer game to some important tax stuff I'd forgotten to finish. And ideas, too, for a future episode of this podcast, a project I wanted to start with a friend. You get the picture. What struck me as I was lying there was that the cacophony was not coming from the outside. It was coming from my own mind. The call was coming from inside the house, in other words. And the thing was, that number, it's been calling me more and more often. When we all went remote and my home became my office, my brain began to percolate on work things at any point in the day, even when I'm in my happiest moments. Sometimes I just can't seem to unplug the landline and stay present. I actually do quite a lot of work through meditation to cultivate attention and mental clarity. So it's always super humbling to realize how quickly I can get off track. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I'm Tiffany Jones-Brown, and this is Remotely Curious, a podcast from Dropbox that asks all the questions about hybrid, remote, or as we call it, virtual first work. Though it seems like it's becoming harder and harder for everyone to focus, we do know that remote work is here to stay. And life for us in Virtual First is actually proving to work quite well. We recently did a survey with our employees and found that over 90% of Dropboxers report that they can effectively work from home. But regardless of how effective and productive we are from home, it's no surprise that our attention is constantly being pulled in a variety of directions as our personal lives and our work lives collide. And as our studies show, finding your focus and what works best for you is truly a personal journey. So I was really excited to sit down with Gloria Mark, whose research shows that improving our focus comes from prioritizing our own well-being. Sounds right up my alley. Before that, we spoke to Katie Nguyen, a member of the product communications team here at Dropbox, which means she helps launch new products and let the world know about them. Katie came to us because, just like me, she finds her focus has shifted in the last few years. I think I have a very short attention span now and have a very hard time focusing and being present throughout the workday. It's it's never solely just what am I working on and what's right in front of me. It's, oh, what should I be doing next? Oh, what could I be doing at the same time? Should I be running the dishwasher or throwing in a load of laundry or things like that? Katie said it's not that there are necessarily more distractions in remote work than there once was in the office, just that they're different. I feel like it was easier to eliminate white noise in the office because you know that people are going to be buzzing around, working, clicking away at their laptop, walking around, whatever it is. And it most likely isn't someone coming up to you or needing you and has nothing to do with you. So it's easier to tune it out. Whereas I think if that's happening at home, you know, like anything that's happening is kind of related to you. And so it's a little bit tougher to to tune that out. But like many of us, Katie's been doing this remote work for a few years now. When she first started working this way, she felt like she was facing a steep learning curve. But now she's pretty much got the hang of it. 
I think one of the most important steps for me when trying to find the best way to focus is really understanding and identifying what those things are that are the biggest distractions first and then figuring out the best way to address that. I use an Apple Watch and I connect my phone to my laptop. So let's say I get a call or a text, I'll get the notification on my phone, on my computer, on my watch all at the same time. Same with Slack, emails, things like that. I don't like to have a ton of visual distractions either. So the walls directly behind my desktop and my laptop are bare. I personally can't imagine managing pings from all my devices at once. I think I've got a single-track mind. But I like the idea of not having to bounce around between chats since everything is coming to me at once. Although eliminating visual distractions works for Katie, finding a quiet, out-of-the-way spot in my house has worked for me. And I'm sure as some of you have been listening, you're thinking, none of that works for me. But maybe something else does. I feel like figuring out what works for finding focus is really kind of a work in progress all the time because I think, you know, things can change. And it was a lot of trial and error. And though I think the way that I found focus has changed too. I used to listen to the classical for studying station on Pandora, you know, when I was in college to to really focus and, you know, tune things out. And now I don't do that as much. And I find that silence is a little better for me. And so I think, you know, letting that evolve and being flexible and being comfortable with experimenting with what works and what doesn't for you and being self-aware in that aspect is really the best way to go about it. There's simply not a one-size-fits-all approach to focus. So let's see if we can't learn a bit more about what it is and how we can take control of our attention spans. Dr. Gloria Mark is a professor and researcher at the University of California, Irvine. She's studied the impact of digital media on people's lives for over two decades. All of that research culminated in her book, Attention Span, a groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness, and productivity. So I was working at a research institute in Germany up until the year 2000, moved back to the States, got a job as an assistant professor at the time, and my life was just so packed with things, and I found myself juggling different tasks. At the same time, I found myself glued to my computer screen but having a really hard time to pay attention on any particular screen. And I just found my attention shifting like crazy. And being a scientist, I asked this empirical question. It was very simple. To what extent are other people experiencing this? Is it just me? Yeah. You know, I thought this, this can't be normal, but maybe other people are experiencing it as well. And that's what set me off on this pretty long journey of studying attention and mood when mm. we use our devices. Well, I'm wondering if we can just dig into kind of a big question. What is focus and what is our attention span? Most people tend to think of attention as having two states. You're, you're either focused or you're not focused. And the reality is that it's a lot more nuanced than that. Gloria said that instead of focus belonging to one central fixed place in the brain, we actually have three basic networks of attention working at any given time in our brains. There's one that's 
in charge of selecting the information that we choose to, um, you know, focus on. And then there's another network which is responsible for vigilance, right? Holding sustained attention on something. Then there's a third network that's involved in doing sort of defense work. It's filtering out peripheral information to prevent us from getting distracted. And so, you know, when we're focused, right, all three of those networks are able to do their job well. It's selecting, prioritizing what we want to work on. We can have sustained attention on something, and we can filter out distractions. But, you know, the first thing I said is that it's not so easy to say that we're either focused or not focused. We, we found that people have different types of attention. And so if we unpack attention into times when you're engaged and challenged, we, we call that focus. And you can be engaged and not challenged. And we call that road activity. And that's like playing solitaire or, you know, even going on social media could be a rote kind of activity. Or for that matter, gardening or, or knitting can be a rote activity, but you're still very engaged in what you're doing. And if you're not engaged and not challenged, we call that bored. And if you're challenged and not engaged, we call that frustration. Hmm. It makes me think of something I read in your book that I was really surprised by, which is when you talk about some of the common myths around focus. I'm curious if you can share some of those with us. One of the the common narratives that we hear is that we should always strive to be focused and we should try to pack in as much as we can so we can be as focused as possible and therefore we'll be productive But it's just not possible for people to hold sustained attention for long periods of time in in the same way that we can't lift weights all day without getting ourselves exhausted. And so it's really important to work in breaks, really significant breaks, to be able to refresh ourselves and replenish so that we can have better focus. When we go back to you know, reading something or writing something. The thing is, is that people have a limited amount of attentional resources. And when we hold sustained focus for a long period of time, we we drain those resources. And it's really important to think about how we can be most efficient in using our resources. Hmm. The best break of all is to actually go outside for 20 minutes. And the best thing of all is to be in nature, Mm -hmm. because we know that's the most restorative kind of break for people. We've heard this from many of our guests, but I can't emphasize it enough. Get outside and take a break, especially if you're working from home. Another myth might sound surprising, and, and that's the idea that we should always strive for flow when we use our technologies. Now, flow is really that ideal state of attention that the psychologist Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi identified. It's when we're at our most creative, when we're so immersed in something that time just doesn't seem to matter. Well, you know, flow is great. 
And when I was an artist, I, I would get into flow regularly. I would be painting, and before I knew it, it would be two, three o'clock in the morning, and I just didn't realize that all those hours had gone by. Mm. But in knowledge work, it's it's not that common for people to get into flow because of the nature of the work. It mm. involves analytical thinking, which is not necessarily conducive to flow. Let's back up a sec. So in the 1970s, the quote-unquote father of flow, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, studied artists, people like Gloria, who would get lost in their work. He coined the theory of flow in his book Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, which has a chapter titled Why Flow Doesn't Happen on the Job, where he explains why modern work environments aren't always conducive to getting in the zone. Gloria is saying that striving for a flow state is essentially a waste of time. What's a better thing to strive for is understanding the ebb and flow of our attentional resources and understanding those personal rhythms that we have knowing when our attentional resources are, are at a peak, right? Because that's when we can perform the best. Hmm. And to be able to do the hardest work, the work that requires the most creativity during those times when our attention is at its peak. Mm. That's, that's what we really should be striving for. Another myth is that all the interruptions that we experience are primarily due to those nasty notifications that we receive, and we should blame ourselves because it's our own lack of discipline. Well, it's true that these algorithmically tailored notifications certainly are targeted to capture our attention, but that's not the full story. There are so many other reasons for why we're distracted. We don't use technology in a vacuum. We use technology in a broader, what I call socio-technical world. Hmm. There's other technological forces, there's social forces, all of these affect our attention. It turns out that we are just as likely to interrupt ourselves without any external distractor as we are to be distracted by something that comes external to us, like a phone call, email notification, social media notification, text chime. Hmm. We interrupt ourselves about half the time. Can you give us some examples of the other forces you're talking about? So first of all, many people may not realize it, but the internet itself has been designed to distract us. Many people are familiar with the name Vannevar Bush. He was an engineer who, in around 1945, wrote about an idea called the Memex. And the Memex was a proposal for a new way to organize information in terms of associating documents with each other. And that became the forerunner for the web. Huh. Now, it sounds like a great idea because the web was designed to work the same way that human memory is designed to work. We think in terms of associations. Yeah. But in a sense, it, it works really too well. When we go on the web, imagine you're on a Wikipedia page and you're reading text and it sparks all kinds of associations in our minds. 
and it sets our minds off on this this firestorm of associations, and we see new links, and this sets off new kinds of associations, and we go back and forth. There are so many entry points to our mind's network Hmm. from, from the web. And so, of course, it's very hard for people to stop surfing, right? So it's just, you know, you can think of the design of the web as greasing the wheels. Yes. Well, you've talked about how our attention spans have dipped quite a bit from two and a half minutes, I think, to something like 47 seconds over the last decade um, when we're engaging with screens. So on the surface, when I hear this, I know it, it sounds bad, if you will, But I'm curious, do we know the true consequences of attention spans collectively dipping? Well, we do know that when people are shifting their attention rapidly, which is multitasking, we we know that it harms performance. And it, it harms it in several ways. So number one, we know that people make more errors. There is a study done with doctors that showed that they make more prescribing errors when their attention is shifting among different things. We know from decades of laboratory research that people make more errors. A second thing is that it slows people down. Hmm. So we think by shifting our attention, we're accomplishing more, right? That we're getting to do work on more different things and faster. But there's a switch cost every time we switch our attention to reorient to a new activity. And I can give a metaphor to explain it. It's like, imagine you have a whiteboard in your mind, and that whiteboard holds a representation of the information we need Hmm. in order to do a task. And then all of a sudden, we switch our attention and do something else. Let's say we check email. It's like erasing that whiteboard Hmm. and then writing up the new information we need to create that new representation in our mind to focus on this new task, which is email. Hmm. Then I switch my attention again. I'm erasing that whiteboard. I'm writing new information. And then the, the, the worst thing of all, in my view, is that switching our attention so fast causes stress. Hmm. We know from decades of laboratory research that blood pressure rises There's a physiological marker in the body that indicates people are stressed. In my research in living laboratories, we see when people are wearing heart rate monitors that when they're switching their attention fast, their stress goes up. And and when people are asked with, with valid scales asking about stress, they report higher stress Hmm. when, when their attention is shifting fast. Um, I'm thinking about one of the producers of the show who's told me about falling into this kind of multitasking mental trap, sort of, she feels like she can do two things at once, like work on a script, but also listen to another episode or make notes on it. And she swears she's being more efficient, at least at the time. I can kind of like feel a little bit of the stress that comes from doing that just as I talk about it. So what do you think we can do to avoid that kind of mental trap? So... People can gain agency over their attention. And, you know, a lot of reasons why we switch our attention is because we do things automatically, unconsciously. 
For example, you know, I look at my smartphone and I have this unconscious urge to suddenly grab it and check it. Or I might have this thought in my mind to suddenly check email and see see what's new or to check news. If we can bring these unconscious urges to our conscious awareness, then we can become more intentional with them and we can act on them. So how do we do that? How can we gain agency over our attention? So we, we do that by what I call meta-awareness, which is being aware of what you're doing as it's unfolding. And I, I picked this up during the pandemic. We were working at home, and my university offered a course in mindfulness-based stress reduction. And it's about teaching a person how to focus on the present. And I realized, you know, we can do exactly the same thing when we're on our devices. We, we can learn how to focus on the present so that we can filter out all these other distractions. And so when I have an urge, I probe myself, Gloria, why do I have this urge? Why do I need to check news right now? And I, I understand the reasons why I do it. It's usually because I'm bored or because I just I want to procrastinate. And I face those reasons, and I can become intentional, I can take action, and I can change. Sometimes I may feel exhausted, and I can probe myself, and I find out, oh, I, I need to switch because I'm just exhausted. No person can hold long periods of sustained attention without taking a break and still expect performance to be high. And so that's a information that I need for myself so that I understand it's time for me to take a break. Gloria also outlined another technique, one that I think I've been sort of accidentally, and if I'm honest, a bit anxiously doing all my life to convince myself to stay on task. That's just practicing forethought, imagining how what I'm doing right now in this moment might impact me in the future. And forethought means imagining our future selves and understanding how our current actions will impact our future selves later in the day. So if I want to go on social media, I will ask myself, you know, think about what my life is going to look like at 7 p.m. or 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. Am I still going to be working on that overdue report? Or am I going to be feeling fulfilled and rewarded and really happy because I finished what I intended to accomplish? And so thinking ahead mm -hmm. to the experience that we want to have at the end of the day is, is a really great incentive to get us to focus on the present. Well, I know that among my friend groups, we talk sometimes about doing a tech Sabbath, but I'm also aware that setting this goal of a long-term tech Sabbath or, you know, no digital engagement isn't very realistic, or even super limited digital engagement isn't very realistic for lots of people. I'm curious, what is a healthy goal that we might aim for if we're trying to achieve a healthier relationship with our devices in the digital world? You know, people who go on digital detoxes, they come back and end up 
eventually, very quickly, quite often, going back to the same practices that they were trying to get rid of. It's like a crash diet. Yeah. If you go on a crash diet, you end up going right back to the same eating habits. So what we need to develop is, is a new way of life, a new relationship with our technologies. The ship has sailed. We, we live in a technological world. I mentioned probes. I mentioned forethought. There are other things we can do, keeping goals in mind. And I would actually like to argue very strongly that instead of a goal being, you know, being as productive as possible, let's have as a goal to maintain well-being. Yeah, so I'm wondering if you can just say a bit about ways that remote work might make it more challenging to focus or maybe some ways it changes our focus. So I've done some studies of people doing remote work. And first of all, people do have a hard time focusing when they're alone. A study that I did recently with Judith Borgutz, who is my postdoc, found that the whole nature of motivation changes. When people are in a workplace, they get socially motivated being in the presence of other people. When they're at home, they lose connection mm. with other people, unless you have a formal meeting. But you lose that informal kind of social interaction. And so people have to rely more on themselves and draw motivation from their work. And people, of course, are distracted in different kinds of ways when they're working from home. When you're in a workplace, there's ambient noise, and you might get distracted from other people. When people are at home, you might get distracted by things they have to do around the house, by children, by you know other people in the household. And the borders between personal and work life become very, very blurry. Mm. And last, a- another change we found is that people slip into their natural chronotypes when they work at home. So if you're an early bird, you tend to naturally wake up earlier and do your work earlier in the day. If you're a late type, you sleep later and do your work later in the day. Now, this is fine if you're an individual and you don't really have to communicate with other people. But if you're in a team, it reduces the window of time that you have to communicate with other people. And so this this can potentially lead to challenges for a team. I can definitely relate to the idea of feeling a bit more disconnected from the rest of my team while working remotely. But for a while, I felt like an outlier because as an introvert and a writer, I often feel more settled and focused at home. One thing that helps me at Dropbox is something we call core collaboration hours, these dedicated chunks of time for deep work. But I'm curious if you can say a bit about the ways that this type of remote work might benefit our focus, our well-being. Well, certainly, people have reported the fact that they don't commute gives them more time during the day. And they feel less stressed because they don't have that commuter stress. So, mm-hmm. so that's a huge benefit for people. And for those people who have a dedicated private workplace, it can be a benefit. Mm. You know, unfortunately, we find in our research not not everyone does have a private 
workplace. And so they have to share mm-hmm. workplaces and, and that's not conducive to deep work. But also with chronotypes, if people can perform work on a schedule that's closer to what their natural body rhythm is, right? This is a benefit for them. Hmm. So unsurprisingly, the ability to focus at home has a lot to do with what our atmosphere at home is like and how that syncs up with our work schedule. So what are some methods we can use to have a bit more agency and intention with our attention in remote work? The idea of goals is really important because attention is goal-oriented. We direct our attention according to what our goal is. If my goal is to work on a report, that's where my attention goes. If my goal is to check social media, (laughs) I have this urge to check social media, that's where my attention goes. So I've done some work with Alex Williams and colleagues at Microsoft Research, and we found that a very simple conversational agent that asks people at the beginning of the day, what do you want to accomplish? And how do you want to feel? And simply asking these two questions at the beginning of the day helped people stay on track Hmm. because it brought goals to the forefront and it helped direct attention. Now, we also discovered that it's not enough to just ask once at the beginning of the day. Goals are dynamic. They fade in and out of our minds. And it's really important to keep reminding ourselves of what our goals are. If it means writing it on a piece of paper, having an audio voice memo, you know, whatever it takes to keep reminding ourselves of what our goals are, and not just task goals, but emotional goals Hmm. as well. It's funny. I try to set an intention for myself each morning during my meditation practice. But on the morning I was editing the script for this episode, I realized I hadn't set an intention yet. And my attention was wandering like mad. I probably picked up my phone to check WhatsApp and Slack messages five times just while reading the first paragraph. Once I noticed what was happening, I set a goal for myself. I love editing and I want to enjoy this process, so don't check any notifications until I'm done. It worked. I've made it this far with a much deeper and more gratifying attention. Remember Katie from the beginning of the episode? She had one last thing to say. I think it's interesting that finding focus can be such a personal journey, right? Because the way each person's mind works is different. The way people prioritize is different. And it really is an effort to figure out what works best for you in any given environment or circumstance. And again, I think that can evolve and change as, you know, other factors change. But it is very much like a a self-exploration journey, I guess, to to figure out how to best find your focus. Gloria, one last question for you. How can we use technology to help us with our attention in the workplace? It's ironic to think about tech helping us to solve a problem that's created by tech. (laughs) I, I do think there's promise for AI. Now, There's, of course, you know, a lot of discussion these days about AI and, you know, potential dangers. But when we think about AI 
as a helper or as a coach. I think that there, there is a promise there. So imagine that we had a personal assistant who could help teach you this notion of meta-awareness, could help you understand when you're getting exhausted, can nudge you, hey, don't you think it's time for a break? If you're spending too much time on social media, that this agent can coach you and say, hey, it's time to come back. So an agent that gets to learn Hmm. about your behaviors, your mood, that can help you respond better to the environment and help you adapt better to the environment. The agent should not do all the work for you. It should rather serve as a coach, Hmm. right? Because I believe that people ultimately need to develop their own agency and not just simply offload it onto tech. But the the tech needs to play the role of supporting actor, and the individual is is the primary actor. Gloria, this has been so helpful and just lovely to listen to you, and I've learned a lot. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was really, really my pleasure to be here. So takeaways. We know that focus can be a little tougher in remote work. So number one, multitasking is a real productivity killer. It creates more errors, slows us down, and even raises our blood pressure. Gloria recommends building meta-awareness by asking yourself, why do I have this urge to shift my attention right now? Number two, the idea that we should always be in flow is a myth because our attentional resources are finite. So when you've been focused for a while and you're feeling mentally exhausted, just take a break. Prioritizing your well-being in this way is great for productivity. And finally, remember that where goals go, attention follows. When you're alone at home and there's nobody to keep you on track, if you ask yourself, what do I want to accomplish and how do I want to feel? Your attention is more likely to lead you in that direction. Remotely Curious is brought to you by Dropbox and our friends at Cosmic Standard. Our hardworking producers are Beauty Nazaro, Beck Silver, Samaya Adams, Angela Johnston, and Asia Pilar Simpson. Our editor is Nina Gensler-Debs. Our technical director is Jacob Winnick. And our executive producer is Eliza Smith. Our designers are April Rosenstock, Feliz Camille Tolentino, Fanny Lore, Gabriela Tienda, and Justin Tran. Our theme song is composed by Doug Stewart, and I'm your host, Tiffany Jones-Brown. Special thanks to Katie Nguyen for sharing her story. And of course, a thank you to Gloria Mark. You can find her book, Attention Span, online. And for more tips on finding your focus, check out the Dropbox Virtual First Toolkit at remotely-curious.com.